Brought to you by the WZIP sports team, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. Featuring in-depth interviews. I didn't really plan to ask this, but since you brought it up, what's it like kind of having like your own meme? Like, how does that make you feel? <laughs> Exclusive original content. He crosses paths with another best in the world. Oh, that gets you excited, don't it? Oh, that gets me excited. And of course, the hottest takes. My dad used to have this saying, if you don't like the series, you don't like football. Well, I say I'm a pretty big football fan, and I despise the (laughs) Steelers. Okay, okay. (laughs) So get ready, because it's time for SPT Overtime. It is overtime for the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. I'm Jake Marin, and I'm joined by Alex Henry. What's up, guys? And for the first time on SPTOT, Mitch Bates. What's up, everybody? Honored to be here. That's right. The UFC crew here at WZIP Sports has expanded. Alex and I are really excited to welcome Mitch to the podcast. And the slate has been wiped. We all have 0-0 records creating an exciting stretch of UFC prediction episodes as we compete in the future. Before we get to UFC 283 predictions, gentlemen, we have to look back at the year 2022 for the UFC and MMA as a whole, really. We have eight categories in this small edition of the 2022 UFC Awards, and we're going to kick it off hot with Event of the Year. Alex, I'll go to you first. Does any event out of the UFC or maybe another promotion stick out to you as event of the year? UFC. I think you know my answer, Jake. It was UFC 281. That was my favorite card. Uh, Tied for second most knockouts in a single night ever. Uh, Obviously, my boy Izzy uh, got upset by Alex. Um, The Dustin Chandler fight was crazy. Um... Uh, Waylay Zhang came in there with that crazy um, just finish showing she's the boss. Uh, even the prelims, I forget the one. Dude, there were so many good. It was just a great card. It was a great, great card, my favorite. I'm actually surprised to hear 281 out of your mouth there because of what happened to Adesanya. But I agree, Alex. It's still a great fight. Yeah, it, it was still a great fight. And he was, what, a couple minutes away from retaining his title? See. Yes, that is my event of the year as well, Alex. I have UFC 281. You mentioned the two title fights, the two new champions crowned, Chandler Poirier. I mean, that might be one of our fights of the year. We'll see. We'll get to that category here soon. Also, Frankie Edgar's retirement against Chris Gutierrez. You had Claudia Poyez versus Dan Hooker. And then those prelims, Alex, Renato Moicano's breakout, that uh, mm. promo he gave after that win. Ryan Spann's vicious KO over Dominic Reyes. Aaron Blanchfield's sub over Molly McCann. I mean, this yeah. card had electric prelims, even better main card. It's my event of the year as well. Mitch, event of the year for 2022. So I went a little bit of a different direction for event of the year, and I picked UFC 280. And I picked that one because I personally enjoyed watching Charles Oliveira a lot, and I don't watch Islam that much, so it was one of my first events actually watching him. And that guy can fight. And Aljamain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw was not the fight that anyone was hoping for, I think, with the injury to TJ early in the fight. And Piotr Jan, Sean O'Malley was one of my favorite fights probably of the year last year simply because of everything it meant and then the way Sean O'Malley won it with all the controversy involved. And also Darius, 
I was not a Darius fan at all before this fight, but after watching him beat Gamrot, I have a sort of respect that I did not have before for him now. Yeah, that's a great card. I think both Alex and I had a Gamrot beating Darius. Yeah. Shocked the world that night at UFC 280. Did you hear that, Alex? We got another Charlie Aldous fan on the podcast. <laughs> that's fine. He's not the champ. Never will be again. <laughs> so I don't. I don't really care. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I do like that we have another Charlie Aldous fan on the show. Uh, let's move on to maybe one of the most electric categories there are. It's knockout of the year. Mitch, I'll go to you first this time. There are many knockouts in 2022. First off, how are we debating this? Are we thinking bigger moment or bigger knockout, or do we think the stakes matter here? What do you think, Mitch? Do the stakes matter, or are you just looking at knockout alone? Yeah, I kind of tried to even it out a little bit. So I tried to put a little bit of the stakes in there and then a little bit of the knockout itself in there, and I tried to do that for all of the sections. But I think, personally, knockout of the year was Michael Chandler knocking out Tony Ferguson because the pictures that came from that one kick (laughs) – you, you saw it all over social media. It was a pretty big fight. It was a front kick knockout, so you don't see many of those if you watch the UFC consistently. And that just, it was a very different knockout for me. Yeah, that it was. Alex, same answer or different knockout of the year? No, I uh, I weighed in the stakes, uh, you know, kind of how much it mattered and significance a little bit in it too. I have the head kick. Heard around the entire world, Edwards versus Usman. Um, it's it's obvious up here, Mitch. You might not know this. You might not like this. I'm not an Usman guy. Don't like the uh. guy. Not a fan. So seeing my boy Rocky Edwards come in there, just set him up with the he fainted, he fainted with the right. No, he fainted with the left. Fake the right and then head kick. It was beautiful. So yeah. that's, my, that's my knockout. The setup was beautiful. My knockout of the year. I agree with Mitch. I have Michael Chandler's second round front kick KO over Tony Ferguson at UFC 274. Without considering the stakes here, this was one of the most vicious KOs in 2022 and one of the most disgusting knockouts in UFC history. Mitch, you mentioned the picture that circulated around the internet. Absolutely disgusting. There were knockouts last year that were bigger because of the stakes, like the one that Leon Edwards had, Alex. But this one for me, just for the knockout itself, was absolutely insane. Now, a category for submission of the year. We had some conversations about this category before the show. You changed your submission of the year right before recording, Alex. What do you got? What do you, what do you got? Nikita Krylov, Paul Craig. Uh, is he, all right, Paul Craig's losing the whole fight. He's just getting dominated. It's only first round. He's getting dominated and then throws this mean, mean arm bar just out of nowhere. And I kind of like almost standing while he did it. It was fire. I remembered it for a very long time. I will make it my submission of the year. What was your submission of the year before that? The standing arm bar. Okay. Fair enough. Or arm triangle. Fair enough. Jessica Andrade. That's mine. That is my submission of the year. I figured as much. Jessica Andrade versus Amanda Lemos on April 23rd, 2022. Standing arm trial choke. Uh, first submission of its kind in the UFC. An unbelievable amount of strength that that submission took, plus it was over a game opponent in Lemos, who has serious power herself. That's my submission of the year. I didn't have yours even on my radar, but a good underdog pick there. Uh, Mitch, submission of the year, what you got? I had the same pick as you, wow. Jake. I had the... This is why I switched out. This is why I switched out. 
Yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for the standing one because I saw I believe John Jones did a standing submission against Leota Machida back UFC might have been around 180, and I I just enjoy the standing ones. They're really different, and that's exact submission has never been seen before. I just enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm surprised no Yuri Prohoshka, Glover Teixeira talk there. Well, that would have been like another you know, significance yeah. and important. But it was just a guillotine. In terms of the stakes, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. And did he really get his arm under the under the chin there? Who knows? Yeah. Knows. Wasn't your classic setup of a submission? Fifth sure. round, both guys were tired. I'm sure we'll talk about that fight in length later on, maybe even soon here with these awards. But next up, we have upset of the year. I'll go first for this one. It was a fight that has already been brought up. I have Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards at UFC 278. Leon was 56 seconds away from losing a title fight that he had been overlooked for for years. Anik saying that's not the cloth from which he is cut and the beautiful setup, execution of the head kick, and paralysis state that it left the pound-for-pound king in that night. I mean, goosebumps when I watch it back. Absolute shock. Around the world, UFC 278, Leon Edwards, upset of the year. That's my pick. Alex, what do you got? Leon. Yeah. I think that's Leon. the consensus pick, you know? Yeah. Is that what you Max. got, Mitch? That was, but I did have another one, just in case that one was taken. I also enjoyed Sean O'Malley beating Piotr Jan just because of where, that's a fair pick. where they were both ranked. We hadn't really seen O'Malley fully tested yet, and then he jumped all the way to Jan. I don't – where people who I've talked to did not really give – O'Malley much of a chance in that fight because they're like Jan's dominant he's giving Aljo fits even though he didn't win the fight and came out with a dub so yeah that's a great pick as well four more categories before we get to UFC 283 predictions in this next category guys we talked about it before the podcast I think there is only one answer nothing else even matches or comes close round of the year Mitch give it to me this one was very tough for me, and I'm not sure if you're going to agree with my answer, but I really enjoyed Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier round one. Mm. And I enjoyed that because I enjoy a lot of the technical, you know, back and forth, maybe get some wrestling in there, but I also enjoy absolute chaos, and that's what I saw in the first round of this fight. Just Michael Chandler suplexing Dustin Poirier, absolute hands the entire way. I enjoyed that one. So that was my round of the year. I would say that's a good pick, but that's the wrong answer. Alex, do you have the right answer? No. no. Uh, but I have what I think was round of the year, and you already touched on the fight, Mitch. Piotr Jan, Sean O'Malley, round three was insane. Did I ever think in a million years that I would see this dude, Sean O'Malley, dropping Piotr Jan twice in the same round, busting him up, kicking him in the head? No, never in a million years. And I'm a Sean O'Malley stan, so watching it was insane. Just him completely 10-8-ing. I don't actually think there was a 10-8, maybe one on the card, but just destroying him in that round was very awesome. And even Jan, you know, fighting back, still good. Uh, I, I think he even touched up Sean as well. But, yeah, that was my round of the year. It's also the wrong answer, Alex. <laughs> Do you want to guess what the right answer is? Do you want to guess what I have for round of the year? Do you know? You're talking about the fight night co-main event with the two random people that I can't <laughs> think of. Well, once I say it, let me know if it rings a bell. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was not the co-main event. No. Matt Danger Schnell versus Sumudarji round two at UFC on ABC three. Mm-hmm. This fight was incredible, and the fight could have been stopped many times with Schnell nearly being out cold in round two. They get into a wild grappling exchange, blood is spewing everywhere, and Schnell won with a triangle choke four minutes and 24 seconds into round two. It's an exchange and a moment that lasted nearly an entire round, and this is a moment that I will never forget in UFC history, really. Matt Schnell, Sumidarji, round two, that round was amazing. Not where I thought you were going. Where I thought you were going was David Onama versus uh, Nate Landwehr or whatever. That's what I thought you were going to do. Mm. Because I know a lot of people had that as, like, the round of the the last round in that fight when they were both just basically dead and they just yeah. kept fighting each other. Well, Schnell Sumudarji, in the moment, I was like, that's round of the year. Nothing else comes close. And so when it came around to doing this, I was like, yeah, I cannot give that fight – I can't not give that fight the shine it deserves. Actually, argument for round of the year, Terrence McKenney, when he fought Drew Dober. Drew, Dober. Uh, Drew Dober, that first round was crazy. I forgot about that. That's another yeah. good one as well. There's a lot of options for so round of the year. There's a lot of options, there, Jake. There are on, a lot of options, but there's one right answer, <laughs> okay. Alex. Okay. Snell, <laughs> round two. And I know a lot of people out there agree with me as well. Uh, next up, though, I think we're mostly going to agree with this one at least. Fight of the year. I think there were a lot of good fights in 2022. Nothing that really stuck out to me as, yes, this this is the fight of the year. Ultimately, I landed on Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prohashka at UFC 275. Both fighters were in situations where they could have been finished. And the finish of the fight where Yuri was down on the scorecards and got the submission win in the fifth round, minutes away from losing his first title shot in the UFC. I mean, chef's kiss storytelling right there. That's my fight of the year. Alex, you have something different. UFC 274, Carla Esparza versus Rose Namajunas 2 was the fight of... Man, I forgot about that one, Alex. (laughs) Yeah. You're totally right. (laughs) No, absolutely not. I got Glover and Yuri as well. That fight was... It was great because I forced my friends to watch UFC with me, even though they're not big fans of UFC. And... You know, I could tell that they were getting to a point where they probably were tired of coming over to watch these fights because they're not interested. There's not a lot going on. And then that main event, I think, changed the course for all of them. They were like, okay, now if the fights are going to be like that, I'll keep coming. So, that, yeah, I love that fight. It was great. That's going to be one. Yeah, I completely agree. Not Carla Rose, yeah. even though that would probably be my second. Yeah, it's definitely up there. Top five <laughs> at least, right? Yeah. yeah. Mitch, any thoughts on fight of the year? Yeah, I also had the same exact fight with Yuri, but if I wanted to add a little bit of sauce in there, I also added Kamzat and Gilbert Burns at UFC 273. I think it proved a lot as far as Kamzat goes, but it also added a little bit of doubt as far as his striking. But I'm a huge Gilbert Burns guy. I like Gilbert Burns a lot. And that fight was also a little bit chaotic at times. For sure. And... That could be a pick that I would make, but I think Prohaska's fight was just levels above any other fight this last year. Yeah, and I've seen other people in the MMA landscape pick that fight as fight of the year, and that's a fight that I watched in a movie theater, and I was going crazy watching that fight on the big screen. Two more categories before we get to 283 predictions, and these are the fighter categories here. We have female fighter of the year and male fighter of the year. 
We're going to start with the females. I think there's one pick here, but maybe there's another one. Alex, take it away. Z-Hang. I got to take my girl Z-Hang. Way, way, Lily. <laughs> Obviously. Zhang Weili? Yes. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Anything different, Mitch? Nope, same exact answer. Yeah, I have Magnum, Zhang Weili as well. 2-0 in 2022. Second round spinning back <laughs> fist KO over Ioana Janjershik. Second round rear naked choke over Carla Esparza to win the strawweight title. Big things out of her in 2022. I'm expecting a big 2023 out of Weili as well. Male fighter of the year, I do expect some disagreements here. Mitch, I'll start with you this time. For this one, it was a little tough, and I wish he added another fight in at the end of the year because there was a little bit of a gap, but I had Alexander Volkanovsky. He ended 2021 with a victory against Brian Ortega. Or, no, I believe. Yeah, that was 2021 where he defeated Brian Ortega. He comes in, fights Korean Zombie, and he absolutely dominated him. He fought Max Holloway, and that fight determined a lot for me as far as Alexander went because I I have never seen someone dominate Max in that fashion where Max could not get anything going. It was like the same thing every round of just pure domination. Whatever he wanted to throw, it was there. So I think that was really impressive, and that got him the fighter of the year for me. Yeah, that's a great pick. That's definitely my number two, not my number one, though. Alex, who do you got? My number one is also Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, Mitch, I mean, you hit it on the head. People argue, don't argue. Most people think Max Holloway's the greatest boxer to ever, you know, step into a UFC octagon. I say it's Dustin Poirier, but that's because, I don't know, that's my opinion. Um, and Volkanovsky touched him up an entire fight. I actually thought he was going to kill the Korean zombie, like, legitimately, um, so what he's been able to do was just incredible, and that's why I got to have him on top of having a goaded first name. Yeah, he had a savage year in 2022, asking Korean Zombie if he wanted to keep on going, doing what he did to him, and then obviously what he did to Max Holloway. And with losses by other champions, he is right now the pound-for-pound best fighter in the UFC. My male fighter of the year for 2022 Alex, you're shaking your head no. <laughs> Don't say it. I hate, I hate to say it, man. Don't say it. Alex Poetan Pajeda. No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He went 3-0 in 2022, had wins over Bruno Silva, Sean Strickland, and, of course, Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya. He was 1-0 in the UFC before 2022, truly burst on the scene as a middleweight contender in the sport of mixed martial arts, and ended the year dethroning the king of the middleweights with a fifth-round KO. I get the argument for Alexander Volkanovsky, but you it, it's hard to argue that a fighter didn't have a better 2022 than Alex Pajeda. That's where I, that's where I get to my answer. Uh, well, I don't think it's hard at all, but whatever. Alex Pajeda, my male fighter of the year, and that'll do it for our award predictions. We'll leave 2022 in the past as we now look ahead with predictions for the first UFC pay-per-view of 2023. Of course, I'm talking about UFC 283, headlined by Glover Teixeira and Jamal Hill for the vacant light heavyweight title. For our predictions, we did reset them with the new year. Alex, you beat me head-to-head. Mitch is now joining the crew, and we'll keep track of predictions through May 
to decide the winner. So that'll likely be UFC 283 through UFC 288. That's a total of 30 fights to predict. And let's begin with the first fight of the main card this Saturday in Brazil. It's Paul Bearjew Craig taking on Johnny Walker at light heavyweight. Guys, what do you think? Alex, I'll go to you first. The man that beat Magomed Ankalaev, we're talking about Paul Craig, um, that was because of his grappling, and that's what he is. I mean, he's very tough on his feet, and so many people underestimate his striking. Um, I'm not saying he's the best by any means, but he absorbs 2.79 strikes per minute. His takedown accuracy is 20%. He's on his feet a lot and still has a pretty good record. So, yes, I'm not saying he's a great striker, but when you're not a great striker, it doesn't mean you're bad. He's not a bad striker. So, But he is 100% a great grappler, and that's what he would want to do in this fight. Johnny Walker, we've talked about him before. Uh, very diverse striker. Really good speed, good power. Um, and I hope that he's on the comeback of his career. You know, last time I talked about him uh, in his last fight, I said it was the battle of the woulda, coulda, shouldas. He won, so maybe he can be that guy now. And I think this is his fight to prove that. Uh, He's got a huge reach advantage, which will really help with defending takedowns. Um, You know, it's kind of funny. I talked so much about how Paul's not that bad on his feet, but Johnny Walker's really, really good on his feet. He's way better striker than uh, Paul. So I think Johnny Walker's going to get it done here, and I think he'll probably win it effortlessly. I mean, I guess you can never count Paul Craig out because he's always really, really tough. He has a lot of come-behind wins. But, um, I mean, if it's the Johnny Walker that I saw in the last fight, the Johnny Walker I've seen years ago, then, yes, it should be effortlessly. And that's what I'm expecting. Wow. Strong words there from Alex Henry. Mitch, what do you think about this fight? Well, I feel pressured to make some correct picks here because I've had to listen to Alex talk on the podcast before on Sports Power Talk and say, oh, Mitch is joining us. He doesn't have a chance sitting atop my mountain. The smack talk has already began, and it's episode one, guys. So I got I to gotta get this right. And I do agree with Alex when he says the striking is obviously in Johnny Walker's favor. I just recently started getting up on Paul Craig. I understand that he's really good on the ground. He has 13 of his 16 MMA wins are by submission. I personally think that Paul Craig's going to get it done over Johnny Walker. I just have been disappointed time after time, except for the last fight by Johnny Walker. It was the huge buildup that he had and then the constant losses. And I think Paul Craig's kind of on a different trajectory than that currently in his career. He has some really impressive wins against some really big fighters. He beat the person who's fighting for the belt in this same event. So I think... Paul Craig's going to get a submission. I believe he will get outstruck probably first round, second round, but by the third round, I think he gets him to the ground and he's going to get it done. See, this is why the three-man podcast is so good, Jake, because if we all agree and we're wrong, we all look really silly. If we all agree and we're right, we all look really smart. But when two of us agree and one other person has to be the tiebreaker, and me and Mitch disagree, so Jake... Who do you got? Yeah, I'm the tiebreaker. And two polar opposite perspectives across the desk here. I mean, Alex, you think he's going to get it done effortlessly talking about Johnny Walker. Mitch, you're high on Paul Craig, and you think he's going to get a submission. 
I'm the tiebreaker. I don't have really much to add in terms of a breakdown. I'm going Johnny Walker here. Woo! I agree with you, Alex. <laughs> I think Walker can use his length to his advantage sure. in this fight. You mentioned his last win, Alex, over uh, Ian Kutalaba in that first-round submission that came out of nowhere, really, in the fight of what it could have should have. And I completely agreed with that breakdown. I believe I picked Johnny Walker in that fight as well. He's still 2-4 and four in his last six fights. But if you look at Paul Craig, I really underestimate him on the feet. I don't think he really shows anything on the feet. When he gets it to the ground, he can submit you in nearly any way. 13 wins by submission, 11 first-round finishes, has wins over Magomed Ankalaev and Jamal Hill. He has the second-most submission wins among active UFC light heavyweights. He didn't look good in his last fight against Volkan Ozdemir, and I think Walker can use that length to his advantage in this fight. You mentioned the reach advantage, Alex. He'll enjoy that 6-inch reach advantage and a 3-inch height advantage in this fight. While Craig is going for takedown after takedown, Walker should throw strikes down the middle to the body and at range. Walker's been a hit-or-miss guy in the UFC, either being too wild or not wild enough. He did look great in his last time out, and I see him knocking out Craig in the Scotsman's relentless pursuit for a takedown, which he isn't good at in order to get the submission, which he is excellent at. So give me Johnny Walker inside the distance in this first fight for UFC 283. And we do have a disagreement for Mitch. Mm. It's already getting mm. interesting, guys. Already getting interesting. Let's go to the second fight. We have the fourth-ranked women's flyweight in the world, Lucky Lauren Murphy, taking on the sixth-ranked women's flyweight in the world, Jessica Andrade. Alex, what do you think? Jessica Andrade is very, very, very good. That's what I think, Jay. Minus She's 490 favorite. A very good striker, 6.1. 6.16 strikes landed per minute. Uh, has a great jab. Probably the strongest uh, in any women's division in UFC. I'll say it. I don't care. She has that jab, and she sets up the big, fast crosses and hooks. Uh, not only that, but she's also good at getting it on the ground. She kind of shoots, like, a high crotch and will, like, just pick them up and slam them, and it's awesome. It's kind of what I used to do in high school, Jake. The, the good old high crotch was my... My go-to takedown. Uh, averages 2.85 takedowns a fight. Um, the only thing that I am kind of worried about with Jessica Andrade, and that might be a worry in this fight, is she's not the best at dealing with counter-strikers. So, you know, if she's striking a lot and that person who's getting hits able to counter-strike, she leaves herself open. Lauren Murphy, strong striker, throws a lot. Personally, I do not think Lauren Murphy is that good. I I genuinely do. She doesn't look all that good in her fights. Even fights she wins, she doesn't look that good. Her kind of thing, and you'll hear me say this about somebody else on the card, is that she has that dog in her where she just really, really wants to fight. The problem is, in my opinion, that's all she has is that dog in her. Um, I don't think the fight will be close. Lauren Murphy is almost 40 years old. Jessica is 31. And Jessica has 11 more pro fights than Lauren Murphy. So she's younger and has more experience. Uh, Lauren Murphy dips a lot when she throws. She isn't technical, relies on just being tougher. And I think Jessica's younger, stronger, more experienced. I got Jessica first round knockout. Wow. Yep. Strong words I'm there. I'm coming out hot this Alex. year. Yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> I agree with the pick. 
I don't agree with the assessment of Lauren Murphy, though. I agree that she has, you know, that dog in her. Her her biggest skill is her toughness, right? Her biggest skill is being able to hang there in the pocket and eat punches like their dinner for her. You know, she is great at doing that. And she's actually 6-1 and one when landing more takedowns than her opponents. That's something I'm looking for here. If she can get this fight to the ground somehow, some way, closing the distance with Jessica Andrade, I could see her winning this fight using her wrestling. But Jessica Andrade, I think she is such a good bully fighter. And I think she yeah. can impose her will on Lauren Murphy, not let this fight go to the ground. And Jessica Andrade is going to be the stronger fighter as well. So is Lauren Murphy even going to be able to win those grappling exchanges? That's something that I also question. And Andrade, she's been looking so good recently. Her last fight was my submission of the year winner over Amanda Lemos last April. I'm picking Andrade, but I'm not as convinced as you, Alex, that she'll finish Murphy. Murphy can eat punches. She has only had one stoppage loss in her entire career. And on the other hand, Andrade hasn't gone to a decision in four fights and seven of her last 10 fights haven't seen the scorecards. I see Andrade being the more physical and powerful fighter for three rounds, and I see her imposing her will in at least two of the three rounds. I'm giving lucky Lauren Murphy some credit for being tough, having that dog in her, but give me Andrade by decision. I think there's some value there as well. Andrade by decision is the pick out of me. Mitch, what do you think of this fight? Yeah, I think you both covered it very well on the assessment of the fight, and I definitely agree with the victor here. I think Andrade has got it in the bag. I understand that Murphy is very tough. She's got a strong mindset, and that can carry a lot of fighters to a lot of victories, but over someone like Andrade, who has that massive toolkit, she knows what she's doing at all times. She's got 15 different things to throw at you for every one thing you have for her, So, and she's on a hot streak right now. Uh, her last submission, as you know, impressed me a lot. It got my submission of the year. I got her over Murphy probably third round finish because I don't want to. I don't want to go with the first round knockout. I think that's a little too bold, and I personally can't see this fight going to decision either. So I'm gonna stick with a third round, probably a TKO for me. And Lauren Murphy's going to have to rebound after losing to Andrade. All three of us going with Andrade here for UFC 283 in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Another Brazilian on this card in the next fight. I'm talking about Gilbert Durinho Burns taking on Neil, the Haitian sensation, Magni. Magni has the most wins in welterweight history with 20, but Burns a contender at welterweight. I know we've had discussions and arguments about whether he's an actual contender, Alex, in this division. I'm going to send this one over to Mitch first. What do you think, Burns, Magny? Yeah, I got Gilbert Burns all the way. I actually do like Magny for the simple fact that his reach can, his reach is very difficult to deal with. He's a long, lanky fighter. He's tall. He's got the easily advantage in both those categories over Durinho, but... I've seen Gilbert Burns in way more fights than I've seen uh, Neil Magny. I think Gilbert Burns has a just a better skill set. I think what he brings to the table is a lot more than what Neil Magny brings to the table. Um, I think his recent fights have been way more impressive than Magny's recent fights, and I was actually really surprised that Magny jumped that far in competition, in my opinion, right up to Burns. And I don't think it's going to go well for him. 
I'm going to say probably a second-round flat-out knockout for Gilbert Burns over Neil Magny. Well, strongly going for Burns there. Alex, what do you think? Magny Burns. Uh, yeah, Gilbert Burns, march forward striker. Uh, strikes good in the pocket, but not only is he a good striker, he's known for his ground game. BJJ is really good. I thought he was going to finish Hamzat Shemaev with an armbar when I watched them fight. I thought he was going to do it. He didn't, but I really thought he would. Neil Magny, um, great fighter like uh, Jessica, younger fighter in this fight who has more pro fights in their career. Uh, not only is Neil a great striker, but he isn't bad on the ground either, uh, but he's definitely no Gilbert Burns because Gr- Gilbert is better on the ground. I think Neil's better on the feet, but <sighs> considering all things, Neil probably has better cardio. Definitely the reach advantage, like you said, Mitch. But I think Gilbert probably gets a solid win in this fight. Um, if I had to pick, I would say by submission. I'm not sure what round. I just think that Gilbert, um, he, in the Hamzat fight, for example, where Hamzat obviously challenged him to strike. Out of nowhere, Hamzat's always wanting to wrestle, but he's t- now he wants to strike. Still stuck to the game plan and tried to get takedowns. So I think Hamzat's a way better striker than Neil Magny is. So Gilbert should be able to get a takedown and probably get a submission. The pick is is uh, Gilbert Burns there for Alex Henry. And I agree with both of you guys. Gilbert Burns was took to a different place last April when he fought Hamzat Shemaev and what is easily a candidate for fight fight of the year in 2022. Burns lands 3.46 significant strikes per minute, and he showcased some of the power he has in those hands when he fought Shemaev. Burns is always looking for a takedown and gets them at a good rate as he averages two takedowns per 15 minutes of cage time. And if you look at Magny, I mean, he has the most wins in welterweight history with 20, but I actually wasn't impressed with his submission win over Daniel Rodriguez in November. If anything, I credit that win more for Magny based on the gas tank of Daniel Rodriguez. He was just gas in that third round, and D-Rod was winning on the scorecards before that fight was finished in the third round. Neil Magny, he has good he has a good striking differential, but where I see we see trouble for him is his 58% takedown defense and his average fight time of 12 minutes and 48 seconds. Burns has only finished two opponents since the start of 2019, so I don't see him knocking out Magny or submitting him. Plus, six of Magny's last eight have gone the distance, but Magny has been submitted four times in the UFC, so does Burns wrestling set up a potential choke? Like you said, Alex, mm-hmm. I'm still saying no. I'm absolutely picking Burns here. I am absolutely in agreement with both of you, but I think he'll wrestle for most of this fight, and he'll do so right to a decision Win Burns by decision is my pick. And again, all in agreement. The agreement might stop here, though, as it is the quadrilogy, if you can even call it that. It is Davison Figueiredo. Don't even know if I said that last name right because I can't pronounce that last name. The only name I can't pronounce in the UFC is taking on the interim flyweight champion, Brandon, the assassin baby, Moreno. A minus 110 pick. Either way, a pick em fight here. Alex, what do you think? First fight, draw. Second fight, Brandon. Third fight, Figgy. <sighs> it's tough. It's very, very tough. Figgy, uh, super powerful um, in his division. Not only that, but he's really good on the ground. Brandon, technical boxer, good leg kicks, um, really good cardio, good speed. And I said I'd talk about somebody that has the dog in him. 
that would be Brandon Moreno. He has that dog in him, and it's probably his biggest advantage. This fight is really, really close for me to pick. Um, I feel like it's really psychological, too, because, you know, Figueredo is super confident um, in his first fight, you know, going into it, and then gets, you know, the the the, the draw, right? And he probably could have won that fight, um, but he didn't. So he gets a draw, and then Brandon finally gets a full camp because he had, like, four weeks up until the first fight. He gets a full camp, and then he wins dominantly. And, you know, we even kind of were like, we talked about it before the third fight, how it didn't look like the same figgy that we had seen before. It was like we were seeing somebody different. And then the third fight, it looked like Figgy kind of figured out what he needed to do. And it kind of looked like Brandon wasn't the same Brandon. So I don't think it has anything to do with who's the more technical. Because if I had to pick who I thought's a better fighter, I'd give the slight edge to Davidson Figueroa. But I, it, it's just who's going to be the better fighter when it comes down to it that night. Um, I think if I'm Figgy, what I want to do is not engage in all the striking battles. I want to I want to just I pick him, kick at his leg like he did in the one fight. Is kick at his leg, kick at his arm to where he can barely move and then maybe try to get when those body locks happen, the Brandon Moreno help, you you'll see him try to get a body lock and take him down. Usually the guy who gets the body lock will get the takedown. Maybe Figgy tries to get some of those takedowns and you know, I think the only reason Jake that this fight is difficult for me is because I'm such a big Brandon Moreno fan. That is why it's hard. Because when I look at it from an analystic, like an, an, an analyst point of view, Figgy's gotten better every single time they fought. And I think he should do the same thing. And as much as I don't want to say it, I think if Figgy stays composed, he can win every single round. Wow. And as long as he stays composed. As if he, that's, that's his biggest problem, too. That's way easier said than done. He likes getting into the striking exchanges. He likes. He stays composed. I can see him winning. So I'm going to go with Davidson Figueroa. If it goes to Brandon, which I'm not picking Brandon, I would say by submission. I think, you know, he touches him up a lot. He can't knock him out. Um, Definitely hits him, maybe drops him, gets him on the ground, gets like a guillotine. Uh, And I can easily see that happening too. And I kind of want to see that happening. That's kind of what I'm cheering for. I, I am a Brandon Moreno fan, but I'm going to go with Davidson Figueroa here. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad pick. Not much to argue there. And I am also a big Brandon, the Assassin Baby Moreno fan, just like you, Alex. For Davidson Figueroa, though, he surprisingly has a negative striking differential. But what differentiates him from other flyweights is his power and his size. Mm-hmm. He has unprecedented power for a flyweight, but he's also well-rounded and lures his opponents into making mistakes on the feet where he can use that dominating power and knock out guys in the flyweight division. Davison was a- even able to knock down Moreno three times in their last fight nearly one year ago. Talking about Moreno, I think it's important to note that Moreno will be without James Krause this fight yeah, camp. Of huge. course, he changed that camp. Uh, and looked great over his last fight, which was that third-round liver kick KO over Kaikar France. I expect Moreno to start slow, as he always does, but he's really just adopting that Piotr Jan or Marlon Vera approach to fighting where he analyzes, digests, then attacks. And he has the cardio to be able to attack heavily in the championship rounds. Moreno is just as well-rounded as Davison, and I'd say that Brandon's tougher, has a better chin, and has better cardio for the division as well. 
I think Davison has two huge downfalls when I look at this fight. He hasn't fought anyone but Moreno since November 2020. And two, I think he's looking ahead of Moreno. This isn't a technical breakdown, but I think the days of him fighting at 125 are numbered. And I've said that every single time I've broken down a Davison fight. Davison's legacy won't be determined by winning this quadrilogy, but it could be determined if he makes a run for a title at bantamweight. As I have for every other fight between these two, give me Moreno by decision. A disagreement between me and Alex. I'm curious to see what the tiebreaker says. Mitch, take it away. Yeah, so I definitely agree with both of you in the aspect that this is going to be a close fight either way it goes. They're Mm -hmm. both very similarly matched on the ground and on the feet. And I think, personally, with Figgy, I think the first times he was fighting Moreno, it was aggression. It was, I think, a little bit of ego even, too, where he's like, just get him out of there, go fold everything, throw everything at him. I agree. And then the last fight, I think he calmed himself down, and he put his Mm -hmm. ego to the side a little bit, played it cooler, and that's what got him the win effectively. And for this Final fight between the two. I'm assuming it's the final fight. I wouldn't go I wouldn't go write that down because it's the first ever four. Who knows if there will be a fifth. Maybe they draw again. They fight again. But That'd be terrible. <laughs> That'd be kind of awesome. I don't even care. <laughs> I disagree. Hey, either way, I got Figgy in this fight. I'm going to have it going decision. I think he's going to combine the technical part with the storm in this fight I think he's seen enough of Moreno as to where he understands what he's going to want to do and I I think he definitely has the ability to counter it I think if he like you said stays calm if he does not rush into big exchanges with Moreno because we all know Moreno has heart we all know he's a warrior he's a an aggressive fighter but I think Figgy's going to combine the calm with the storm in this fight and eventually ride his way to probably four rounds to one decision victory yeah something I do want to mention I didn't write it down but I saw about a week ago uh Brandon Moreno was talking about how his uh his eye got busted open again at sparring the the cut that he had obviously gotten from Kai Car France is still not fully even healed even if you look at him this week getting ready that's still not fully healed a guy like Figgy, I don't know who, you know, Brandon's sparring, obviously, but I know Figgy's the most powerful guy in his weight class. You get hit with one good hit, it's going to kind of be like a Nate Diaz situation, I think, where he's going to, it's really going to be bothering him. And, uh, you know, that's like, that's a maybe it'll happen kind of thing prediction. I I try not to make those, but I do think that is something interesting to bring up when uh, talking about this fight as well. Yeah, something to look at for sure, and if there's going to be blood, in this fight, it sure sounds like it's going to come out of that cut yeah. that was suffered in that fight against Kai Car France for Brandon Moreno. And maybe I'm looking at this fight through my fandom of Brandon Moreno, and maybe that's why I'm going. I want to be direction. wrong. I don't. I'll but, take. I'll take the. I'll take the negative one. I'll take the O. Yeah. If well, I lose, I hope I go one and zero in this fight, and you guys <laughs> go zero and one. This three man podcast. I mean, it is truly something, Alex. I think you're right on point with that. And let's go to the main event for UFC 283 in Brazil. Of course, it's the number two light heavyweight in the world, Glover Teixeira, going back to his hometown, his home country of Brazil, 
taking on the number seven ranked light heavyweight in the world, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, for the vacant light heavyweight title bout. Alex, take it away, man. What I want to say, Jake, before I get into my prediction, is no matter who wins this fight, the champion will not be the greatest light heavyweight in the world. Absolutely. It's not going to be either of these guys. With that out of the way, uh, Glover is coming off, in a sense, back-to-back training camps. He had you know trained for a whole fight. Uh, fight, obviously, got canceled. Now, new fight came. So he's been training for a long time. He's got great boxing, uh, really strong. Old man strength is what uh, my good friend Cody likes to call it. Uh, he throws a good left hook, um, looks for double leg takedowns, very fundamental. Even on the ground, just simple arm triangles and guillotine. Averages 2.2 takedowns a fight. Like I said, he's really, really tough um, at the age of 43. He turned pro the year I was born. Like, that's how long this dude has been fighting. Um, when you look at Hill, very diverse striker that has so much power. Every single time he knocks somebody out, it's like holy cow, are they going to be okay? Um, the thing the, the thing with him is, is he only has 12 fights in his entire pro career. Um, my one thing I'll counter that with is we've seen a lot of young pro fighters become champs very recently. He's very good at throwing punches and kicks, even when he moves backwards, which I think is huge. If he's getting marched back, he still throws really good kicks, really good punches. He has good takedown defense. Um, he's really good at getting back to his feet fast too, which is, you know, you see it out of a guy like Izzy, who I really like, who they they will get taken down. Obviously, wrestling's their weak suit, but they're able to get back up really quick, and that's huge. That's not a stat that's necessarily measured in UFC either. It's just something you kind of have to watch for. His flowy style, southpaw, great jab, cross, check hook, Front kicks are going to be huge right up the front at Glover because Glover really leaves himself squared like a boxer. And I think it's time that Glover catches father time. I know he's not I know he's not fading. Usually you see a fighter his age start to fade, and then you say, oh, the chin's going. Oh, the cardio's going. Nope, not with Glover. Actually, I think the longer the fight goes, it's in Glover's advantage, honestly. Sure. And he's 43. Like he's he's really old, and I think that Jamal Hill is so strong that if he can finish him within the first three rounds, and that is my prediction that I think he will, then he will be wearing the belt this Saturday. But if not, it's probably going to go to Glover. Well, not the direction that I thought you were going to go there with this main event. Mitch, I'll give it to you. Do you think Father Time catches up to Glover Teixeira this Saturday night? Yeah, well, I completely agree with Alex in the sense that, you know, Glover is much older. He's 12 years older than Hill, but he's not slowing down one bit. Like, you watch guys like Gustafson fight, and you're like, oh, it really stinks to see someone who was formerly so good and start to fade, and his chin's just not there. But that's definitely not the case with Glover. Um, I also want to touch on Yuri being the true champ. Because the horrendous shoulder injury and, you know, that it stinks to see him have to give up the belt. And I think right when he comes back, he'll take it from either one of these guys. But for this fight, Hill's power is what stands out for me the most while I watch him. And 
I do see Glover's age is the one thing holding me back from taking him. I feel like a knockout from Hill is what's most likely. And I, I, I do agree, too, where first three rounds, I think Hill's got to put it on him. I think you, you can't worry about the gas tank of Glover because he's going to keep going through all five rounds. I think you got to put it on him. you got to wear him out, maybe even throw a couple leg kicks in there trying to break him down a little bit, and then you you got to knock him out. Because if you don't knock him out, you're not going to win the fight by decision. I don't see that happening. I see Hill getting a knockout possibly even the first round. I'm going to go first round knockout, Hill over Teixeira. Ooh. What do you think about that, Alex? That's spicy. That is spicy. Yeah. Let me get to my breakdown here. I'll start with Glover Teixeira, of course, 33-8, and 8, 18 wins by KO, 10 wins by submission. Has a so just so much experience Glover Teixeira has. He has a 38% takedown accuracy, but the reason he's still relevant is that he has reinvented his game around wrestling and grappling. He averages 2.2 takedowns per 15 minutes of cage time, and he has a dominant frame when he's on top of you and on top of his other opponents. He barely has a negative striking differential, but he was even able to win striking ex- striking exchanges with a guy as talented as Yuri Prohashka. For Hill, seven wins by KO, four first-round finishes, an 11-1 record, not as much experience as Glover Teixeira. Obviously, he's coming off a fourth-round KO over Tiago Santos. Hill outstruck him 130-56, to very impressive. But he was taken down six times in that fight, which I think says a lot about this coming Saturday. He lands nearly double the amount of strikes than he absorbs at an insane rate. But I really think he's a one-trick pony. He has power. He has speed. He sets up his strikes well. He only needs to connect with one to get a knockout. But I have questions surrounding Hill's cardio. His takedown defense is only at 66%. And he's fighting a guy who only? has triple the amount of fights than he does. 66%? It's pretty solid. It's over 50. But against a guy like Glover Teixeira. Design. I don't think that's great. And he was taken down six times in his last fight. That's why I said it's important to understand the stat that when he gets taken down, he gets up very, very quickly. I agree with that. That doesn't get measured. No, I agree with that. But being taken down six times, even if he's getting back up fast or not, against Tiago Santos, Tiago Santos isn't known as this world-known wrestler and grappler, right? Tiago Santos has power in his hands. That's really what put his name on the map originally. And then he felt the power of Hill, and he was like, okay, I got to wrestle. I got to grapple. Glover Teixeira is known for wrestling. So if a guy like Santos can take him down six times, I think a guy like Teixeira can take him down even more. And to your point, Alex, keep him on the ground more efficiently because Hill is known for getting back to the feet, uh, like you said. I'm partially basing my pick here on Glover's performance in his last fight against Yuri. I thought Teixeira would get knocked out in that fight, and he showed resiliency and a toughness that I didn't know was possible for a 43-year-old MMA fighter. And people think that Hill is going to be able to knock out Glover, and I just don't see this happening. And answer me this, guys. Who has more power, Jamal Hill or Yuri Prohashka? Jamal Hill. Yeah, I'm going to You think so? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm going to give that to Yuri Prohashka. I think Yuri Prohashka is the more powerful puncher 
and Glover wasn't knocked it's out close. by Yuri. It's close. It is close. Sure. It is definitely close. But I Glover didn't get knocked out by Yuri, so I don't see that outcome happening. The outcome I do see happening is where is one where he uses his wrestling. I'm talking about Glover Teixeira here to win by decision way more than I see Teixeira on the canvas with his lights out. Plus, it's not like Hill had all the time in the world to prepare for a guy like Teixeira who has relentless wrestling. Give me the experienced 43-year-old in his hometown to win back his light heavyweight championship. Glover Teixeira, by decision, is my pick. Yeah, and I mean, Mitch, to what you were saying earlier to you know help Jake's point, the reason that he's not fading is, in my opinion, is during his peak MMA years, he didn't have a visa. He literally could not fight in America. And that's all really UFC has done until like the past three years is fight in America. So, you know, like those prime years that people talk about, those 34s to 38, like that year, he wasn't fighting. So it really does make sense why his chin wouldn't be fading uh, despite the the number uh, that he has with his age. I just I don't I I don't like picking against Glover, especially in his hometown, man. But I think Hill's got what it takes to get it done. Yeah, I'm going Glover here. I mean, that's a good point, Alex. But I think he really just has reinvented his game. I mean, we've seen Glover with his lights out on the canvas before. He we've seen him be on the wrong side of a brutal knockout. That might be the case here on Saturday night. You guys think it's going to be the case? I just see him using not first round, not like Mitch. Mitch sure, says first sure. round. I said one to three, so like kind of first round, but I'm leaning towards the two to threes and yeah, then the first. Okay. I had to go bold. I had to be. I had to get out here. I just really see Glover going after takedown after takedown. I don't think this fight is going to be very exciting. I just think Tashera's no. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to take Jamal Hill down. Maybe even a submission. I mean, we saw what Glover did to Jan Blachowicz. He made quick work out of the Polish power. Sure did. I could see the very same thing happening here against Jamal Hill. I do like him by decision, though, and I think he's got a really good gas tank as well. And like I said, I am nervous about the cardio of one Jamal Hill. Before we wrap up, quickly, guys, go through your picks. Mitch, I'll go to you first. All right. So we had Paul Craig for me over Johnny Walker. I'm thinking by submission – we had Andrade over Murphy. I can see Andrade winning that in any style, but I'm going to go TKO, probably third round. Gilbert Burns over Neil Magny. I don't think I touched enough on the grappling in the ground game of Gilbert Burns. I think that will tell the story of this fight. And I got him, I still got him knocking him out, though. Second round knockout, Gilbert Burns. I got Figgy over Moreno, decision victory, fight of the night by far. And I got Hill over Teixeira, first-round knockout, being bold with it. I got Johnny Walker to uh, win effortlessly. I didn't say a rounder away. I would say by decision um, over – I don't even know. That's risky. I'll say second-round finish, actually, for Johnny Walker. Uh, Then I got Jessica Andrade. She's going to finish it real quick. Then I have Gilbert Burns. Don't sleep on Neil Magny. I think that we kind of all sort of are sleeping on Neil Magny in the way we talk, and maybe you are. But Neil Magny's good. He arguably will be a Hall of Famer, 
and he is a very, very good fighter. I just think Gilbert Burns is going to be better. He is on the up in his career. I got Figgy. I don't want to pick Davidson Figueroa, but I'm going to. And then I have Jamal Hill beating Glover and getting the light heavyweight championship. All right, I got Johnny Walker in the first fight for the UFC 283 main card. I don't know if it's going to be effortlessly like you say, Alex, but I do expect Walker to pick up the win inside the distance over Craig. I just think Craig is a one-trick pony. He can only submit guys. I don't see him doing that over Johnny Walker. Next, give me Jessica Andrade by decision to beat lucky Lauren Murphy. I do give Lauren Murphy some credit. She does have that dog in her. I just think Andrade is the more powerful uh, fighter overall, whether that be on the feet even in the grappling and wrestling exchanges as well. And I am sleeping on Neil Magny. I don't think he has a shot against Gilbert Burns. With that being said, though, I do see this one going to decision. Burns isn't known as a decorated finisher by any means, and Neil Magny isn't a guy to be finished. The only finish that I could see would be a Burns submission, but I'm going to go with Burns by decision. Maybe I'm looking at this next fight. As not an analyst enough, but I do like Brandon Moreno over Davison Figueredo. I really think the Assassin Baby is going to be able to come out of this quadrilogy on top. Even though Davison, he's shown it too in the previous three fights between these two men. And then the main event, Gimme, the 43-year-old ageless Glover Teixeira to pick up a decision win over Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. A lot of disagreements here, guys. It's very exciting having three people on the UFC podcast from here on out. And that's going to do it for us, the new UFC crew at WZIP Sports. Hope you enjoyed our short UFC award show, looking back at the best moments in the sport in 2022. It was certainly a good year for the promotion, and 2023 could be even better. It all starts this Saturday with UFC 283. And joining me for this week's edition of SPTOT was... Alex Henry. Mitch Bates. I'm Jake Marin. We appreciate all of you that made it this far into the podcast, and hopefully you stick around for this stretch of UFC prediction shows with the competition between the three of us. Enjoy the fights in Brazil this weekend, everyone. And Alex, Mitch, and I will see you next time for more UFC action.